So I actually prefer every patient not to sleep on their side. Ever? Yeah. You mean yeah. ever? Like ever? ever. Yeah. Oh try my not God, to. I try know. not to. Because I the, think that might be why my ears are still tingly because I yeah. sleep, I smash yeah. the side of my the face. The pressure and weight of your head on your skin. And it's not like you ever put it perfectly even. It's, sometimes it's pulling forward. Sometimes it's pulling backwards. So the skin actually stretches. So I've had patients where they only sleep on one side. And then when you look, there's a lot more laxity, a lot more wrinkles. Like everything's worse on one side versus the other. And I, and I could just, oh, you sleep on this side. They're like, how'd you know? Because it, it shows. Yes, your face yeah. is less symmetrical. Yeah. Kat Sadler now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kat Sadler Now. It's Tuesday. It's an all-new episode, and I'm so happy to introduce you today to my personal doctor, Dr. Steve Kim from SK Plastic Surgery, right here in Beverly Hills, California. This show is really about you guys because you have been asking even more questions about this pretty seismic transformation, my facelift, neck lift, blepharoplasty, and you're curious and you are interested. And this dissection of what it actually means to go under the knife and what that looks like, it's important to detail for you. I've talked so much about the emotional side of this, kind of springing back mentally. I was even on the Tamron Hall show in New York recently because so many people are still interested in this conversation, what it means for a woman like myself at 48 to, to elect to do this and what it means. So there are so many layers to the conversation, but today we're staying on the exterior layer, which is really just the superficial medical side of what it means for one's physical experience, you know? How old is too old, by the way? How young maybe is too young? Uh, what does the recovery look like? Who's the perfect candidate? You know, um, Dr. Kim is addressing all of this today for you guys. I got all of your questions. I sat here with loads of papers printed from my Instagram. I kid you not. So I weaved all those questions into this conversation. So thanks for sending those in. And now Dr. Kim is answering them for you. So here he is, the lovely Dr. Kim. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Cat Sadler. Now this is Cat, And today I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, who you all have heard about for so long, almost four months now. My doctor, Dr. Steve Kim. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Welcome to yeah. the show. You're my first official guest in my new studio, face to face. So oh, welcome. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> People have been, I knew they'd be interested in my experience, but mm -hmm. I was so shocked with the fascination, the interest, the questions, the follow-up. I mean, here we are, as we sit here today, I'm almost right. exactly four months right. since my facelift, neck lift, and blepharoplasty. And everyone's like, who's the doctor? Who's the doctor? He did such a great job. It looks so natural. So you are the doctor. We've known each other like 15 years, but you've been practicing how long now? 
17 years, 17 yeah. years. Yeah. And went to school forever, right? Right. So I actually, so med school is usually four years. I did an MD PhD, so that took seven years. I have an MD and a PhD. And then plastic surgery training is actually quite long. It's one of, probably one of the longest residencies to go through. So in yeah. total, how long were you in school? Counting college, yeah. 17 years. 17 yeah. years. Yeah. My God, that's, uh, you're younger than my, my son. That's like, <laughs> for, that's an eternity. You have it's, to really want to do what you do to be in school that long. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a commitment. And, you know, it's like some of my friends, like they became attorneys. And attorneys, like, it's, it's hard too. But four years of college, three years of law school. Yeah. And they're like, are you still, you're still, you're still in school? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what was it about plastic surgery in particular that that specialization that interests you? Right. Well, actually I was planning to do dermatology. Okay. Right? So then I was doing dermatology rotations and I, and I really enjoyed dermatology, but then there comes a point where it's like, wait, when we're actually cutting something out or doing a surgical procedure, I'm like, wait, I like doing that better. So what, what can I do where I can do more surgical procedures and less of the clinical part, more surgicals. And I looked into plastic surgery and it was a mind-blowing experience because you're doing all parts of the body, head to toe, different parts. And in the hospitals, plastic surgeons are known as the surgeon surgeon. So if other surgeons get in trouble, they'll call plastic surgeons to come and kind of bail them out. Right. I right. never thought of that. Because yeah. they're like doing something, you know, they want an organ to work, but right. then if they F it up... Kind of, yeah. Like people want to be put back together the right way. Right, right. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you remember the first surgery you ever did solo? Of course you do. What was it? Oh, so normally when you finish, you want to do like, like a small surgery, maybe like maybe just a little eyelid or a little scar revision, something like that. But yeah. I ended up with a patient that wanted to do a breast augmentation with tummy tuck and liposuction. So it's like, that's quite a big surgery for straight coming out. But you know, if you've had training for that long and you've done so many cases, you're kind of comfortable, but it's the first time you're doing it solo. But I was comfortable doing the surgery. I thought I was like pretty well trained for that procedure. Wow. Yeah. Were you nervous? You had to be nervous. Oh, yeah. So in the beginning, every case you do, you're like looking at the books, looking at your notes, looking at you know, videos, looking at like, make sure you don't skip anything, make sure you have all the proper sutures, everything. But now it's like, you know, oh, we're doing a breast augmentation. Yeah, we just, we did like how many this week already. So then everything's kind of set up. Everything moves slow, like much more. It just flows. Yes. Yeah. Well, you and I have known each other a long time. You've been doing my Botox. I've already told everybody the story, but right. since I was about 35 and one of the questions I get the very most is like, why your doctor? Why Dr. Kim? And we had established a relationship. Mm. I knew you had a stellar reputation. I have other friends who have right. been at the receiving end of your work. So that kind of seemed like a no brainer for us. But let's talk about the day I came to see you because everyone's like, well, how did you know this is what you wanted to do? Or had you been fixating on a facelift like forever? And the truth is I really wasn't. I just knew what was bothering me on my right. face. Right. And I came to you and I was like, what do you see, Dr. Kim? Like, wh why don't you, in your words, describe kind of what was going on with my face? Right. So, you know, essentially every patient is different and every patient, what they expect from the results or what they expect, the change is all different. So if, so if somebody comes in, oh, I just want like a little something, a little, then we kind of look more towards that way. But it seemed like when I saw you, you did want some change, but didn't want to be like super drastic. And then essentially with the evaluation, there was some laxity on the neck. There was some laxity along the jaw, smile lines. And, and so, and when you actually check and see that that skin actually moves pretty well, it's like some patients, like you can pull and move, then things don't move that well. Then it's like, okay, that's, maybe you're not ready for like a facelift. Maybe even like physically not ready for a facelift. 
But if the skin moves pretty well and things kind of move nicely, then that's a good option. What is laxity? We hear this word a lot. What does that mean? Right. So as you age, your skin actually, there's a part called the dermis, which is the main important part. And then there's also collagen in, in the dermis. And when the dermis becomes thinner and your skin actually lacks collagen, the skin becomes really loose and stretchy. So that's like how much laxity there is. The skin will actually stretch way down. And then as you get older, that becomes worse and worse and skin actually starts falling. With aging, actually, it's not just laxity, but also like volume loss. In the past, the whole thing was, okay, laxity, laxity, like skin's loose, tighten it. But now it's actually, it's also volume loss and actually repositioning of parts of the tissue. As, as we know now, it's not just volume loss, it's skin laxity and also where things actually come down and they're like in the wrong place or come drooping down into a lower position on the face. When you say we've learned that, like that, you're basically describing kind of the evolution with science and what you know now medically, how the facelift has evolved. Right. That's actually very true because in the past, like now we have like scans, like high, like high resolution 3D MRIs and CT scans, and they can actually measure volume in 3D and that tells you, okay, this is where the volume has been lost and this is how things changed. That wasn't available a long time ago. So when they used to do facelifts, I'm, I'm thinking like the old fashioned facelift. I don't even know. My mom had a facelift, you know, 20 years ago or something. They were essentially pulling the skin back, maybe cutting some of it and then suturing it just so it's tighter. And today you're actually moving the muscle, right? Right. Well, technically it's called a smass. So okay. it's, 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 it's the layer just right above the muscle. Okay. And that's has actually some strength to it. Skin it's very stretchy. So if you pull all the pull on the skin, the skin just stretches and comes right back down. But if you can pull most of the uh, pull on the SMAS, then it's, it's much more durable. It comes up nicely. And also in the past, the SMAS used to be taken up like just like right in front of the ear. Like you go lift up the skin a little bit, take the little bit of SMAS, pull here. And it did pull up, but not anything that you want to pull far away from your incision from where you're working. It doesn't go up as much. So now we do what's called a deep plane. We come further anterior towards the smile line, the lips, the parts you want to lift up. And then we start lifting this mask from there yes. and then pull up the skin. Yes. Yeah. Is every facelift today a deep plane facelift or not necessarily? No, I think, I think it's almost like 50-50 now. Some surgeons still do the regular smash. There's also, even with the, the smash techniques, there's different ones. There's different ways to do it. There's plications, there's mastectomies, there's like imbrications. There's a whole bunch of different range and not everyone does it exactly the same. So different techniques just based on what a doctor prefers or different techniques based on what a patient needs? Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like for me, for example, right. did you know I needed a deep plane or did you just think that's what I do best? I'm going to do that for her. Do you know what I mean? Because we didn't, I didn't, we didn't really get into that before right, we right. did Tec it. The technical <laughs> aspect of it. But yes, I, I think nowadays the whole trend is more towards like the deep plane gives you a better lift that's further away from the incisions, right? So it kind of like more towards the cheeks, more down to the jaws, near the neck here. Like these parts move better yeah. versus just pulling from here, pulling from here. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that's what was so funny, you know, when I was, I can't remember if it was before I did it or after I did it, but people are like, you literally took your face off and put it back on essentially. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> like, and then you being the doctor you are and loving this stuff afterwards, you sent me the picture of the like right. mid-surgery. I was like, oh my God, that didn't come with a warning, but it literally looked like my face had been taken off. Essentially, you know? It essentially kind of is. It kind of is because we are dissecting quite far yes. with, these, with these surgeries. Yeah. 
while that sounds really intense and scary for maybe people listening, it's also so cool that you can do this, right? (laughs) Right. It's cool, but some patients can't see that. Like that, if you if someone sees that, they're like, "Oh my god!" Like so, I actually I pre warn like, "Hey, are you okay with like pictures that are a little on the graphic side?" Yeah, I'm glad I saw that afterward, or because I would have been like, I don't know. I was so relaxed the day of. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've been very open and honest with you guys about some more troubling times, times when I was struggling, times when I was in my head and in my thoughts and really going through it. And therapy was a godsend for me. I will forever be a fan. Just talking with my son about this the other day, I'm like, we have to talk about it. There there are so many benefits when purging, you know, some of our restlessness or some of our, you know, that when our brains just don't stop. Maybe you have experienced this. You're Thoughts start racing right before bed, maybe, or at other inopportune moments. It turns out one great way to make those racing thoughts go away is to talk them through. Therapy gives you a place to do that so you can get out of your negative thought cycles, you guys, find some mental and some emotional peace. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient. It's super flexible and it's suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash cat today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P, Help, betterhelp.com slash cat. You did suggest the facelift and the neck lift. And a lot of people do ask that question, you know, can you do one without the other? Do you always do one with the other or most often? Most of the time I'll do them together. Okay. Once in a while, let's say a patient had a previous facelift. And then, yeah, the neck is kind of off. Like it's, it's a lot looser than the face part. Then we'll do the neck lift. But most of the time you kind of age together. Most you haven't seen like just natural aging. You don't see patients who just the neck aged and the face didn't. Or just the face aged and the neck didn't. Usually it kind of ages together. And if you actually look at the technical aspect of it, the incisions are almost the same for a facelift and a neck lift. It's just how far you extend up this way for a facelift and then how far you extend back towards the, the hairline for a neck lift. So the main incisions here in front of the ear and behind the ear, it's the same. So then you're doing the same cuts. Wouldn't you want to pull a little bit on the neck portion too when you're doing it? I mean, you don't have to, but you could. Right. The other thing is if we pulled on the face just slightly, then it's okay. But let's say we pulled to a certain significant amount, then there's going to be a transition point where this got pulled and the other part didn't. So you kind of, you don't want to show the transition. That's why the incision has to go, even just for a facelift behind the neck, here too, because you kind of have to pull the jawline and neck a little bit so you don't have this like severe transition that shows part that you pulled and part that you didn't. Right. And the opposite way too, if you pulled on the neck and then if you don't pull on the jawline and a little bit to the front here, then the transition shows there too. Yes. Yeah. Incisions and staples and some of what Dr. Kim is 
pointing to, because I know you all can't see all of this, is like upwards even towards the temple above the ear, kind right. of in the hairline, essentially. Right. That's facelift. Facelift. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. So I get a lot of questions just about the whole procedure before, during, and after. What can people expect if they decide to move forward with, let's say, a facelift and a neck lift? Blepharoplasty we can get to in a minute, but right. what is the uh, lead up look like? What what does the process look right. like so preparing? In, I mean, essentially, it's a medical history and exam. So we make sure that you're a proper candidate for the surgery. And then, depending on your age, medical clearance. And that medical clearance varies. So if you're very young, very healthy, under 40, then it's just laboratory work unless you have some kind of medical condition then, or a little bit older, then we have to get a full medical clearance from your primary physician, an EKG, test x-ray, laboratory work, and anything else that's kind of relevant for your health. We make sure you're like perfectly optimized and you're very healthy for this surgery. That's the pre-op workup, right? Yeah, which seems like a lot of work at the time. I gotta be honest, I was like, oh man, I had to like, you know, go to one place to get my chest x-ray and then I had to go see my doctor and then you're waiting on these labs and there's, you know, there's some work to do, but it's also very, very comforting because in a way, number one, who doesn't want to know, oh, okay, I am healthy. I thought I was, right. but good to know, right. right? But then you also enter the surgery day knowing like you're you're where you are, which is, you know, good, healthy, right. Right. ready to go. And Gonna nowadays, be able to sustain a lot of patients are on Wegovy, you yes. know, the, so, so yeah. for weight management. Yeah, right? Wegovy and Ozempic, same Ozempic, thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is something new that just kind of came up like this year and last year. It's that for anesthesia, so Wegovy actually slows down your GI, your gastric emptying. And when we do surgery for general anesthesia, we want no food, nothing in the stomach. So then we usually tell you like eight hours before, no drinking or eating. But with Wegovy, that food stays longer. So we actually have to tell patients, okay, you have to skip at least two doses of Wegovy so that it's not in your system. So whatever you've eaten the night before, it's digested and passed. Uh -huh. So things like that, like that's like the totally new. We didn't, that's not something we got trained in residency or med school because we, that wasn't around. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. So this whole Ozempic craze right. is even affecting the plastic, plastic surgery, surgery yeah, industry. Any kind of surgery you're planning to do in the general anesthesia, you should kind of talk to your doctor about when you should stop Wigovi and Ozempic. That's yeah. actually very important. Yeah. yeah. Are you seeing a lot of people who are on that? Actually quite a bit. Quite I a mean, bit. that's crazy yeah. too, because yeah. I guess in many ways, I mean, vanity's vanity and like people want to be thin and people right. want to look young and right. it's all wrapped in together. Right. <gasps> That's nuts. That is nuts. The other thing pre-op is cutting alcohol. That's something to consider for people. Right. How right. soon should they stop drinking or stop consuming? Right. So you and actually, smoking, so right? You, or no? Uh, smoking it, it, on certain surgeries. Okay. So let's say like anything where a flap is developed, like a facelift, neck lift, breast lift, tummy tuck, those kind of surgeries, you minimum two weeks before, two weeks after. We don't want any nicotine in the blood system. Because nicotine actually makes your blood vessels kind of like sensitive. So they kind of clamp down. Yeah. So then we need blood flow for, for the surgery. So then that, that'll kind of affect that. So no, any kind of nicotine two weeks before, two weeks after. Yep. And alcohol wise, I mean, you can't have it in your system when you come for surgery. So we tell you to like at least, you know, three, four days, no alcohol. Yeah. yeah. I think 
think the paperwork even said a week or something, but then right. I, I was literally texting Dr. Kim, you guys, the week before, because my son graduated. I was like, I can't have a glass of wine at my son's graduation. You were like, one cat, you can have one right. two days before, not at any closer to right. surgery. Do you get that? Or am I the only lunatic that's like, can I please have one glass of wine? <laughs> we get them more after surgery. <laughs> after, like, right. I need a drink. Right, right. I bet. Yeah. I didn't feel like drinking at all after surgery. That was like easy for me to give up afterward. I think I've drank less after the surgery. But anyway, that's right. another story. Okay. So surgery day, you know, you really need to carve out what, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, what, six hour essentially. The whole ordeal, yes. Before, yes. you know, arriving a couple hours before, that's when right. you map out the face. The surgery itself can take anywhere from how, you know, what's a short time to a long time. Like facelift, just straight facelift would be like three hours, face and neck lift about four hours. Surgical time. And then like if we do anything else, like an eyelid surgery or anything else, like, then the time gets a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the recovery room time too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And recovery, you're like, you have to just kind of make sure somebody comes to okay, right? right, right making right. sure they've got their wits about them. Right. And you're, you, we should tell people you have a breathing tube when you're in surgery, right? surgery, right? So one of the other complaints is that afterwards, oh, you know, my throat is sore. Yeah. Because we kind of had a tube in there for a few hours. So it it's a little sore. Yeah. Yes. And then recovery. So you get home. You know, this is something I didn't think about at all. And until my good friend Lena, who Dr. Kim knows as well, was like, no, no, you need someone with you. You really need another human being at least the first 24 hours or right. days to come afterwards because recovery, you know, it's not a walk in the park. So what what, do you, what advice do you give people and what can they expect? I mean, it's the main part of it. I think it's, there's some, there's some component of pain. I mean, it's not pain-free. It is surgery. So there are incisions, right? So it does hurt. But the other part of it is anesthesia. And everyone's different how they react to anesthesia. Some patients, they'll go through four or five hours of anesthesia to wake up after surgery. It's like nothing, like almost nothing, like not like no nausea, nothing. Just, they just feel a little bit of pain. Yeah. And then some patients, super nauseous, super dizzy, like hits them like really hard. And that's just kind of, everyone's different on that. So you never know how someone does, and it could be different for each time. So sometimes they'll do one surgery, nothing. Next time, oh my God, it's like so, I was so nauseous. I was throwing up all the time, that type of thing. Since we're on the topic of after a facelift, you know, people are asking what's the rule on exercising after a facelift. Right. So I tell my patients like six weeks for full strenuous exercise, but you know, one to two days after you can go like short walks, walking, right? Yeah. And then I actually think if you do kind of walk around versus just laying in bed all day, if you kind of move around, the, the little bit of leftover anesthesia that's in you kind of wears off faster and you kind of feel better from the anesthesia uh, if you kind of move around more. And then about, you know, two weeks, three weeks later, like fast walking, light, light jogging, nothing, nothing strenuous. Yeah. And then six weeks for full strenuous exercise. Because what's the risk if you overdo it? The main complication we're, we're worried about is uh, bleeding. Right, so if your if your blood pressure goes up and you're straining, the your intravascular volume and the pressure goes up, and then little vessel like something could bleed, and then we don't want bleeding. Yeah, yeah. bleeding is bad, which begs the question, which I have failed to ask you. I mean, just for surgery in general, facelift, since that's our theme today. What are the risks? You know, because right. there are, I and mean, we have to disclose those right, right. of the dangers of the could go wrong scenarios. What right. is that? So. The main complication that I would really, really worry about, nerve injury, facial nerve injury. 
other nerves in your body, like you know, sensory nerves, like peripheral nerves, those nerves, even if they get cut, they actually will reheal and you, it'll still work. Facial nerve, if it's cut and it's injured, it doesn't come back. Wow. So that could be like permanent paralysis. So that's where during the dissection, especially when you're doing this mass portion of it, you have to be super careful not to injure the facial nerve. Right. Yeah. So it's only if it's injured, then it cannot regrow or reattach, right. Right. essentially. Yes. And would an example of it being injured be just a surgeon, skilled or unskilled, just making a mistake, basically? Essentially that, yes. Oh. That being said, these, there's branches of the facial nerve. As you go more anterior, they actually start cross-communicating. So if you, let's say, part like slightly injured the nerve, like way anteriorly, it may become paralyzed for the part, like weakened temporarily, and then the other branch can take over and kind of like feed that uh, muscle so that it actually does work. There's some cross innovation as you come anteriorly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a question I get a lot is like, y- how long are you numb and how how much numbing, you know, do I still feel? And I should just share because, you know, I'm four months out and I, I still have a little tingling like right. in my ears and like at my temples right. and around, like if I get my makeup done professionally, like I'm like, oh, that's so funny. I can't like feel it entirely, but that's very normal at this stage, right? It right. can take up to a year to right. get full feeling back. Right. So those are sensory nerves. Right. So those nerves, like they come in and then it's attached to the skin. So some of those have to be cut, like when we're lifting the skin. So then those nerves will reheal and that's that kind of tingling sensation you feel, that's actually the nerves kind of healing. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's funny. I feel it like around my earlobe, a little behind my ear near those incisions. Right. Right. It's not bad and it doesn't hurt or anything, but I, right. it, but it is still evidence that right. I had my face cut open. Yeah. <laughs> the results are certainly worth it. But, but you think that timeline wise for people expecting a full recovery is what, how long? Usually one year. One year. Yes. Will my face continue to quote unquote settle? Uh, or do you think what you're staring at today is kind of it? So I think most of the swelling, that's done. I think now what's going to happen is like scars. So remember when we lifted up the skin, remember the incisions? Mm-hmm. There's scars under the skin, there's scars at the incision. Those scars mature around nine months to a year. So then as those scars mature, things change a little bit as things kind of settle in, in terms of scar maturation. Yeah. And by maturation, you mean like disappearing really, right? They become, or so scar maturation, initially your body actually puts down scars like randomly. So it's very disorganized. So the scar is a little bit thicker, firmer, could be a little redder. With time, your body does what's called scar maturation. It actually reorganizes the, the, the scars. Collagenase come in, they, they chew up the scars and they your body will actually put them in a more organized fashion. So then the scars kind of flatten, become thinner, less visible. That's scar maturation. That's so cool. And by the way, you killed it. I mean, I don't know if I've said this enough to you, like personally, but like, I am so happy. And like, I knew you were world renowned and like, not all, just like in any industry, not all doctors are created equal. Like you are so talented because like my incisions and my scarring is so minimal. People are like, where? What scars? Like from the front, especially, you cannot even see on the side of my face. Like, any evidence of anything. And it's only been four months. And I have a little redness behind my ears and a little on my neck, but it's not, I don't even think about it. It is not even a concern of mine. I don't even like feel like it's there. So bravo. Cause I know not everyone can achieve that. Right. 
part of that actually comes because you're gonna give me credit now, my oh, skin. No, 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 that's true. That hundred that percent, it is. It's, it's like most of it is your skin and how your body really? heals, because everybody's skin heals differently. Okay. But another part of it is, my I'm used to working on like Asian skin. Okay. So Asian skin tends to heal not as well as like Caucasian skin, and so that's the suturing has to be finer, and so that I think has a great role in it. Population the suturing to, you normally do for Asian skin has to be finer because Asian skin has a tougher time recovering, is what you're saying? They Healing. tend to scar worse. Okay, they scar worse. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So you're already, what you're saying is you're already kind of skilled at that. So I'm reaping the benefits. My Caucasian skin. <laughs> Essentially, <basically>. yes. <laughs> yeah. That is wild. Okay, because we do get a lot of questions about scarring and incisions and, you know, the incisions around the ear and the neck are one thing. You also do staples. Right. What's the difference between the two and what's the purpose of the difference? So staples, you don't want to put anywhere that's, that what the scar is going to be visible. Yeah. So remember it like into the hairline, like if it's behind the hairline, it's not visible. So we can use staples there. If we use sutures, the only problem is taking those sutures out, like telling the, the hair apart from the sutures, kind of hard, difficult. So then and the staples are pretty strong and they're much easier to take out, especially if they're in the hairline. But if there any cuts are going to be like, you know, in, like here, like behind the ear where it's visible, we don't want to use staples. Yeah. 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 I was a little nervous about the removal of those. I thought, oh my God, is that going to hurt? It didn't. It didn't. I mean, it's right. like not nice, but it doesn't hurt. And right. you take out the staples and the sutures when afterwards. So every surgeon has, does it differently. So I actually like to take the anterior sutures the fine anterior sutures out at five days. And then there's there's what's called key sutures what are holding all the tension. And then posterior sutures and the staples, we usually take a week after that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you are wearing everyone. Another little detail we failed to mention is the lovely Velcro mask <laughs> right, right. situation, right. <laughs> which is kind of, it's not nice. It's kind of a little itchy or whatever, but it holds everything in place. And you recommend wearing that for how long? So two weeks minimum. Yeah. Right. And that's mainly compression. So you're kind of applying a little bit of pressure just so that you don't swell as much, one. And it does help with, again, with scar formation, scar maturation, all that. It does help in the beginning also because as, as you compress, scars react to pressure. So when you press on a scar, the scar actually heals flatter and thinner. So we've been talking about skin today. We've been talking about our faces, looking and feeling our best. I've done a little digging. And did you know that hyaluronic acid decreases with age? There's a gradual loss of hyaluronic acid in the skin as we age. And over time, what that means is that the skin becomes thinner, a little drier, and definitely more prone to wrinkles. So as part of my care, I want to tell you about Ritual's Hyacera. Hyacera is a once daily skin support supplement with two clinically proven ingredients, Ceratic and Hyabest. These ingredients reduce wrinkles and fine lines. Listen to this. In a clinical study done by an independent research lab, Ceratic proved to help reduce wrinkles and fine lines again in just 90 days. Hyacera from Ritual is a skin supplement that you can actually trust. Reduce wrinkles without compromising on clean science. You know, just like we're talking about in this episode today, there are things you can do on the exterior 
to look refreshed and feel your best, but this is going in for me. Hyacera is another example of support at the foundational level of going inside, working from the inside out so that my skin looks phenomenal. Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash cat to start Ritual or add Hyacera to your lineup today. Here's my least favorite thing about this entire experience. Sleeping, sitting up. I For me. Right. I mean, I love my sleep, Dr. Kim. I am right. a side sleeper. I'm even a tummy sleeper. And none of that is good for aging and your right. wrinkly skin. And I know I shouldn't do that. Even my chest has like the lines from the way that I sleep. Mm-hmm. God, I'd give anything to learn to sleep on my back. But you are essentially sitting up and trying to sleep at least for the first what? Five days. Five days. Like you propped up trying to like get a good night's rest, like propped almost like completely sitting up. And then it's what, two months is your recommendation before you actually go on your side again? Right. So I actually prefer not just facelift patient, every patient not to sleep on their side. Ever? Yeah. You mean ever? Like ever? ever. Yeah. Try not to. Try not to. I think that might be why my ears are still tingly because I sleep, I smash the side of my face. The pressure and weight of your head on your skin. And it's not like you ever put it perfectly even. Sometimes it's pulling forward. Sometimes it's pulling backwards. So the skin actually stretches. Mm. So I've had patients where they only sleep on one side. And then when you look, one side's a lot. There's a lot more laxity, a lot more wrinkles. Like everything's worse on one side versus the other. And I, and I could just, oh, you sleep on this side. They're like, how'd you know? Because it, it shows. Yes. Your face yeah. is less symmetrical. Yes. I think I have a little of that. Don't you agree? Like maybe like kind of like one side's a little yeah. smaller than the other side mm-hmm. from right. the years of sleeping. Well, how do people learn to sleep on their backs? Do you have any recommendations or pillows or what do we do? <laughs> right. So- do you sleep on your back? <laughs> I actually like to sleep on my side, but I try to sleep <laughs> with my head slightly, not with the pressure on the, on my cheeks, but off the cheeks and slightly to the side. And then sometimes I'll grab a big pillow and sleep. So then you're not, you kind of support it. Okay. Yeah. Um, with that, for any surgeries that we're doing, like on the face, we tell patients to sleep sitting upright because of gravity. We're using gravity to kind of pull the, the liquid edema like down so that you don't swell as much. But I do tell some patients like, hey, if you have a really bad back and you can't lay, like sit up, you have to lay flat. You could, you could lay flat, but you'll just swell a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, the recommendation is to, to help with the healing, probably speed up the healing, all of that stuff. Okay. Okay. Well, I did it. I was a good patient. (laughs) I just didn't love doing it. (laughs) What about choosing a doctor? Because, you know, I'm hearing from people all over the country and, you know, they're like, well, what, what do I need to keep in mind? Especially people who maybe aren't in LA or New York and aren't going in for procedures every other day. And this seems really foreign to them or really overwhelming or potentially scary. This is a very big life, potentially life altering event for people. What should they consider when looking for their doctor? I mean, I think one of the main things that kind of helps is referrals. If you're looking at, let's say you're looking around, you're just looking at advertisement and you're just looking and you just go to someone randomly, you might find someone great or you might not. That chance, it's just there, right? But if you get a referral from someone, someone you know who had the surgery and you feel, and then actually you meet with the person and then you're comfortable with that person, then I think that puts you way ahead. Mm, A good referral. Right. 
What about beyond that? Let's say, because I've, I, I'm, I'm reading people's questions now and one of them is like, what do you do if you are like in the Midwest or you're in a small town? How do mm. you go about finding a trusted doctor? Let's say, especially if your friends aren't doing this. Oh. Like what makes, what makes a doctor a trusted doctor? Just their, their, what's, you know, their schooling, what their, their license, like what, what, what right. should they at the very minimum have? Right. I mean, it's, it's, you want someone that's comfortable with the procedure. Right. And some of that you kind of have to feel out yourself. Like you have to kind of talk to them and say, you know, how many procedures of these facelifts have you done? Are you comfortable with this type of technique? And then you could actually ask about the technique. What kind of technique are you using? Right. Is, is it one of the older techniques or newer techniques? Or which way are you going? Right. 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 And you do you maybe want to secure someone who's doing more of the new stuff? Because then that's evidence that they're actively. Well, it doesn't working? absolutely have to be the newer stuff, but. It depends like what, what you need and make sure that what they're doing is kind of tailored towards you, mm -hmm. right? It's not just one surgery and then you're trying to apply that one surgery to everybody. Yeah. I got a lot of questions from people about the quote unquote half facelift or mini facelift. Right. Is that even still a thing? Are you a fan? What is that by definition? So, so mini facelifts, you're making smaller incisions and then pulling just little parts of the face. So remember earlier, like I kind of, when we talked about, oh, facelift versus face and neck lift, and I kind of like to do both. So it kind of, it transitions better. Well, mini face, let's say you did just a mini cut here and just pulled a little bit there. Well, the other part problem with, with mini faces, as the incisions are smaller, your dissection has to be bigger or with a small dissection, with a small cut, you can't pull things that are far away from where you're cutting, where you're working. So if you just want it, let's say, oh, just the corner, like the eyebrow, well, it's close to the temple line. So you can pull a little here and do a little temple, like brow lift, like temporal brow lift. That's, that works. But let's say you're trying to cut here and for the hairline, pull something like here, the smile line. You're really not going to be able to pull this from here to here with a mini lift that way. Unless there are some surgeons doing endoscopic techniques. They're going underneath with scopes and then dissecting all the way to your with scopes and then pulling. But then in those, you're pulling the undersurface, but you're not pulling the skin so much. So there's pluses and minuses of all these different techniques. Yeah. I preferentially don't like mini lifts as much because I don't think they pull and they don't give an, like an effective pull for me. It's almost like too subtle. You're not even like seeing enough right. of a change. Right. right. And, it, and then if you really didn't want scars, I actually will do thread lifts. There's a whole like technology where you can use threads, no cuts at all. And then you can just pull a little bit. Yeah. yeah, but that doesn't last very long, right? Because the pull is so, like, so, so subtle, yeah. like a slight pull. So then from there, you age, but then it comes on faster because you're not pulling as much. And a mini, if, if people were to elect to do many facelift and focus on one area, does it last uh, longer than, say, a thread lift? Different because the thread lift, remember, the threads are coming in here and they're coming, they, they actually start pulling from, the threads are long. So they're pulling from all different, evenly from f further anterior. So you, you can get the threads all the way up to here and start pulling. Yes. Whereas a mini, unless you're doing endoscopic procedures, you're just pulling like from back here. Uh -huh. So it's a different kind of pull. Okay. So let's say somebody with, you know, women, especially aging women, focus on the jowls and this like laxity in the jaw. Could people technically do a mini facelift just focusing on that exact part of their face? You could, but then your incision, like if you made a small, really a true mini type of incision and try to come all the way and pull, yeah. let's say you did pull and you took some skin, then how about the area right above and right below? You're going right. to have some laxities there that kind of might contrast. So then you'd make a cut 
a little bit bigger. It'll be a little bigger mini facelift. And then, <laughs> so you can pull like the jowls. Right. Yeah. You have been kind of pointing to this anterior, you kind of call it, right? Uh -huh. Like where the smile lines are. And right. then like a facelift is actually like pulling back towards the ears and the temples and all of that. Another question I got a lot was about the mouth and people see botched facelifts or facelifts uh -oh. gone wrong. And they see like the mouth like, is like, looks right. like a clown. And right. that is a lot of women's fears, I think, because they're like, do I do not want to look like that. How do you ensure that you don't pull the mouth wide? <laughs> right. So that's actually, I think, part skill, skill, skill and artistry and technique, right? And to know the limitations of a face and neck lift. Literally, so you don't want to pull the mouth apart so that you can try to get rid of the wrinkles that are above and below the mouth. So we try to address everything lateral to the mouth, like cheeks, jowls, pull these up. But then above and below the lips, I usually think, I think it's best to treat that with like lasers. Yeah. Like to re resurface the skin there with lasers. And those are fine lines too. So then you can kind of help resurface the fine lines. You may not make it completely go away, but you kind of blend this so it shows a little less. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of, I got a lot of questions from people like, did I do fat transfer? What, what, how does a fat transfer work into a facelift? And no, I did not, but why didn't I? And why do some people? Right. So when you evaluate somebody's face, there's some patients who actually have like, let's say the, the temples are really shallow or under the eye, like they have deep tear trough or deep nasal duval grooving or like deep marionette lines, smile lines, or their cheeks are really sunken in. Then you know, when we do a facelift, we actually do reposition some of this tissue. So it does help with the volume, right? Because we, let's say, let's say the fat pad here that kind of drops down, we pull it back up. So then you kind of rebuilt some of that volume. But let's say you need more than that. Then that's where fat grafting, it's a very powerful and really elegant tool to kind of give back volume to parts of the face that kind of lost it. Mm -hmm. So that whole talk, remember earlier we talked about when we're evaluating faces from the past, it was just skin. Now we're looking at like volume, skin, and repositioning. So that's where fat grafting comes in. One downside to fat grafting, it does make your recovery a little longer. Okay. You are going to swell a little bit more. It's a, it's a more traumatic like, procedure that you're adding on to the facelift. In your case, I don't think you were that much like in, in terms of volume loss. And I thought repositioning everything would kind of help, right? And you could also do the fat grafting later after, let's say, everything heals, everything's nice. And oh, you know what? I feel like this part's a little shallow. We can always add a little bit of fat. And fat grafting works kind of like fillers, uh, but it's more permanent. Aha. Uh -huh. So you get someone's fat for their face from where on their body. Right. So we evaluate like either belly, you know, the side of the flanks or the outer thighs, wherever we see a little bit of fat. And we can do it's a very minimal, like minor uh, liposuction to collect the fat. Then we spin the fat, we kind of purify the fat and then we inject it. I would have given you some fat, <laughs> Dr. Kim. I, you should have looked at my bat arms and below my, my arms. I would have happily given you that fat to use. <laughs> That's actually one of the, when patients are getting, oh, I'm going to get a fat. Fat grafting, like, take all the fat. Like, oh, that's liposuction. <laughs> and that's going to cost you people. <laughs> that's another yeah. surgery. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you brought up fillers because right. I have noticed, and I'm curious what you've noticed working so closely on this every single day. A lot of people are like, almost like fillers are getting a, a little bit of a bad rap in that facelifts are becoming so popular right now. I feel like, I mean, and again, I want to hear your thoughts on it, but it's like people, especially 
especially aging women, fill, fill, keep filling, fill some more. They're forever filling. And 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 there there does seem to be this look on women these days that it's like you can tell that's just too much. And it, there comes a point when you have to stop filling and do an actual surgery. Right. I think what happens, and I've noticed in certain patients that once you've been filling for quite a bit, a subtle change where there's a point where it looks like it's a little too much, they don't notice it. Because it, it becomes such like, like slightly, slightly over time, they don't notice it. Whereas if somebody just saw you, they're like, oh, that looks a little bit like unnatural. Yeah. So you have witnessed that then? Yeah. You're, you're saying yeah. So it. I've had patients come and they've had, I can tell they have a lot of fillers and they're coming in for filler. I'm like, there's, there's still quite a bit of filler there. Maybe you should kind of let that settle down a little bit. Well, that's what I love about you too. And again, you guys, when you're looking for your doctor is I feel like you're always honest. I feel like you're like, you tell it like it is. And I do think you err on the side of conservative, which I love because from day one, when it was so super scary for me to even get injectables, just, I'm like, just a little, just a little, just a little. And that really natural look can be achieved. But right. you'll also tell people like, mm, you don't need that. Or, you know, maybe that's too much filler. Let's just wait. Or like, look, you, you, you can still move. Let's just do it next time. Or for me, in my case, after my facelift, you were like, you do need a little Botox. <laughs> you remember? Because I was on TV on Access Hollywood. And you're like, right. ah, because that actually brings me to a great question because it is on here. I'm asking all your guys' questions, I promise, because you sent these in. But people wanted to know if they are getting a facelift, when should they stop getting Botox and filler leading up? Like, are there advantages to chilling on that for a while? And, right. and why? So I think for a facelift, face and neck lift, I don't think the Botox has much of an effect whether you stop it or you continue it, right? I mean, if you're getting a facelift next week, you shouldn't be getting Botox like one week before. Like that kind of doesn't make any sense. Waste but, of money, yeah. Right. Filler is a different story. So if your face is like filled with a ton of filler and we're trying to do a facelift, it's probably not a great idea because that filler will go away, right? So it's almost like weight loss. Let's say you're planning on dieting and losing a lot of weight but then you decide to do a facelift beforehand. So if you did a face and neck lift and then you decide to lose a lot of weight afterwards, you're gonna lose volume. And then the skin and everything will be a little bit looser, not, not the optimal results. So in terms of filler, you probably don't wanna to have too much filler in your face. Maybe like a tiny bit, little bit might be okay, but if you have a lot of fillers, you may wanna either dissolve or wait till that kind of goes down, settles down, and then do the face and neck lift. Yeah, that's good advice. Fillers in general, and I don't want to assume everybody knows, this is your business, and I'm obviously pretty well-versed in this now. Being from Hollywood, it's hard not to be, but what is filler? Like, I feel like some people don't even know the difference between filler and Botox being a brand name, guys. That's an injectable, right, but like, right. what's the difference? Right. So filler started out so long time ago, first type of filler, collagen. So I was, oh, I'm getting collagen injections. So but collagen was great, kind of any part that needed a little bit of volume, you could kind of add to it. But collagen didn't last long, and there also was a 10% like allergies, like patients had allergies to collagen, like 10%, so that's quite high. So scientists came up with, oh, this other type of filler called hyaluronic acid. It's something that's actually in your skin, just like collagen, lasts longer, much, much, much lower chances of uh, allergic reactions. So wherever you need volume or things that have to come up, so you're filling, so that's how fillers work. You're actually just filling things, right? Yeah. So under the eye, like troughs that are deep, parts that are like small lines, if it's really deep, you can fill. 
other things you can do, let's say if your cheekbones are a little small or like skin's kind of, kind of came down, like, then you could actually add and kind of build up the cheekbones. That kind of gives you cheekbones and also gives you a little bit of a lift. So that's kind of, you can use fillers to fill things. You can use fillers to kind of give you a little bit of lift also. Yeah, it like creates a little shape on your face. Right. Mm -hmm. I think the problem is if you try overly lift and over, um, overly fill, then it kind of looks a little unnatural. So you want to try to keep things on the natural side. Yes. And how long does filler last? So there's different kinds of fillers. Right. And then also there's like now cross-linking cross technology where they cross-link these hyaluronic acid uh, materials like more and more and they, they last longer and longer. So you can have fillers that last like six months. You can have fillers that last one year. And then you can have fillers that last like two years. General rule as the fillers last longer, they're usually a little stiffer and they can kind of show up a little bit more. Okay. 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 All right. Back to the facelift. Here's a question. What age is too young? Too young. Okay. I don't think there's a too, too I mean, like if you said 10 years old, okay, that's way, way, way too young. But let's say somebody who's 25, that's young. And somebody 25, just on the average 25 year old came in and said, I want a facelift. You'd be like, wait, that's really young. Unless let's say that the 25 year old, 25 year old had some event like lost, had gastric bypass, lost a lot of weight. There's a lot of skin laxity. Then is 25 too young for this patient? Actually, if she's going to get good results and the risks or the benefits outweigh the risks like, tremendously, then I don't think 25 would be too young for that patient. Yeah. yeah. I feel like with anything, when we talk about age, it is kind of just a number and every, it's right. a case by case, right? right? How, how healthy people are, maybe like some extenuating circumstance, like you right. just explained. I mean, it used to be, you know, the old lady facelift, like that's what we thought, you right. know, you got in your late fifties or sixties and that used to be the trend. But I mean, would you agree? Like facelifts are hot right now. I feel like maybe just because <laughs> that's all I've been talking about, but it, it, it are you seeing more and more people want to go this direction? Actually, very so in 17 years, last four or five years, yes, it's actually gone up like quite a bit in terms of patients asking for facelifts or requesting facelifts. Yeah. yeah. Have you turned any younger, younger ish people away for a facelift? Oh, yeah. 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 You just say it, it's just like not, it's, it, right. it's, it's not it's, for you, it's too early. And I think getting the surgery itself, the risk of the surgery, and you do get scars, right? So, Going through all that and what you're going to achieve or benefit from it isn't, I don't think it's worth it for you. Right. right. It's, 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 it's a lot of money. Right. It's a That's lot it. of money. Yes. It is an investment. Yes. It is a big financial consideration. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's what I'm thinking. If I'm envisioning a 20, even eight-year-old, like what you would achieve with that kind of investment is so minor. Right. Another question at the other end of the spectrum, is a facelift at 67 too late? If you're healthy and you went through the whole medical clinic, everything says you're healthy and you benefit, then no, 67, no. I've, I've done a facelift at, uh, I think, 78. Okay. Yeah. That's not the guy you told me about, is it? The boxer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you told me yeah. about. Yeah. Okay, so... So that's kind of like, it's never too late. And would that be somebody who might be a candidate? Like, uh, I'm going to throw my mom out there again because my mom is now 73 and she mm -hmm. did have a facelift at like 55. And she's like, I wonder if I get another one. Is that something people do multiple facelifts in their lifetime? Uh, actually, yes. 
everyone's living much, much longer yeah. and everyone's living much healthier longer and much more active. Yes. Back to aging or the age or the right age, because, you know, my story blew up, I think, a lot of the reason why was because they kept putting my age in the damn headline. 48, cat <laughs> got a facelift of 48. She's 48, 48. And people are like, oh, that's so young. You didn't need it. You looked fine. I did hear a lot of that, which guys, thanks. That is actually quite nice, you mm. know, to hear people think that maybe I didn't need it after all. But what what are your thoughts on, let's say, late 40s getting a facelift, someone my age, you know, maybe getting a facelift earlier than what we used to think traditionally was the quote-unquote right age to do it. Right. So I don't think there's ever a perfect or right age. I think it's, it has to be individualized to each person, right? And to your situation and to your physical health. And if you kind of think about when are, are you healthier now, or are you going to be healthier like five years or 10 years later? You could be, you might be, but if you're healthy now, and the benefits would be much, much better than the risk of the surgery, then the younger age should be appropriate. What are the advantages to doing it earlier? Like oh, yeah. I could have waited five years. Like right. why was it, why, what, why might that have been a better choice for me now? So you, you will heal much faster. Your recovery time is better. You're probably, you're probably going to be in a healthier situation now than five years later. Mm -hmm. Right. So in all ways, in terms of healing and recovery after surgery, you'll do better now than you will five years or 10 years later. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I feel like my, my recovery was pretty darn quick. And, right. and I, like I said, I'm only four months. And other than a little bit of tinkling, like right. I, I feel like the healing was pretty fast. And right. I also think, don't you think aesthetically speaking, like, again, if you really want natural and if you really don't want this jarring result where everybody and their brother is like, oh my God, you just got a facelift. Like there are advantages to doing it earlier because the results aren't as extreme. Right, right. So if you did a facelift on somebody much older, like much, much older, you you can't make that subtle. Otherwise you look kind of before after not big change, right? But you are going to pull certain things and it's gonna make a change. Yeah. And that change yeah, will be a lot more drastic. I think that's why, again, like the, my feedback has been so, so great. And people say, you know, it looks really natural. One of those reasons is because, you know, I didn't wait another 10 years, right. which brings me to the question of how long it lasts. I'm getting that question from a lot of people, like how, if you do it, you do the facelift, how long can you expect it to quote unquote hold or last or before you're looking in the mirror again and going, well, shoot, I need more work. Right. So a lot of it's going to have to deal with lifestyle, how you take care of yourself, and then individual. So everybody, everybody ages differently. Even before a facelift, you'll notice like everybody ages different. But on the average, a facelift should try to make you look 10 years younger. So then it should take at least 10 years to age again. But also depends how you take care of yourself. And also people have to keep in mind the way you age when you're younger, when you're 20s, and then how you age when you're 30s and how you age when you're in your 40s and 50s, it's different. It actually, it accelerates. Unfortunately, it does. It actually really accelerates as you get older. It's not like a linear line. It actually, it curves up, it's like logarithmic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Okay. So it could, on an average, giving all those different variables, 
last about 10 years. Yes. And so you're saying like, let's say I get a good 10 years out of this facelift. I'm 58 ish. At that point, would I want to do another surgery or, you know, because here's the other thing, guys. I mean, this is what I think. This is, again, a very personal decision for people. It's like, at what point do you just say, I'm going to age now? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, that's a lot. The morality question, that part of the conversation where people are like, you know, can't you just accept aging or why can't you just age gracefully or, you know, why are you trying to stop aging? And so for me, somehow I reconciled all this at my age going, all right, if I can get some more years out of this and do a facelift and it looks natural, I'm going to do this for me. I'm healthy. I know I work out. I know that I take care of my body. I know that I eat generally pretty clean. I'm going to do this. But, you know, if I ask myself at 58, if I start looking in the mirror again and having those same distractions, I don't know if I would do it again or need to do it again or want to do it again, because at some point I'm going to have to just go, I'm going to have grandkids soon. Maybe I just accept it. Do you know what I mean? Right. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's just, it's totally personal. Yeah. I think it's totally a personal choice. And at that point, it's up to you. Like, hey, you know what? I did it 10 years ago and it, I didn't think it was such a big deal. I would just do it again. Or, you know what? I like the way this looks even now. Yeah. So then I'll just keep it like this. Yes. Yeah. And then age gracefully. Totally. Nothing wrong with either one. Right. Yeah. Although I like to, I'm redefining how people age gracefully because we were told to do that forever, right? Like women should just, accept it and age gracefully for me gracefully now is like is being empowered by making my own choices that's true that's true which it's very admirable that you're able to share this experience with everyone because not everyone does right Right. i bet i'm sure i'm sure you see it all people cloaked in extreme secrecy which is is certainly their their right you know again it's very very personal the skin itself because another question i get from a lot of people and i have Mm -hmm. one of those in here is like well what about after a facelift, the skin itself, right? Like obviously you're a little more tout and you have less wrinkles and maybe overall you look younger, but you still have to take care of your skin. Yes, very true. With or without a facelift. Right. So I actually strongly recommend Retin-A or a retinol product. I believe that it's one of the main products that actually can keep your skin younger mm-hmm. and kind of prevents aging. Yes. Yeah. At what age do you recommend people start doing that? Earlier, the better. Okay. Yeah. And what does that do for the skin? So as we talked about before, as patients, as as anyone ages, the skin becomes, the dermis becomes thinner. Thinner. And then the collagen content of it drops. Right. And that's how the skin ages. Retin-A is the only thing that actually shown when they put it on skin and they actually biopsy skin after a few, like let's say two years of Retin-A use and you biopsy skin, the dermis is actually a little bit thicker and there's more collagen. Ah. Uh. I need a refill. <laughs> you were out the last time I was there. I thought I might need a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, because that's so, so true. You just have to, and wear your sunscreen. That's what I always say. That's two. That's your two. <sighs> I wish I would have done that. I've been using Retin-A for like 17 years since I started practice. It's one of our questions on our board, plastic surgery boards. What does Retin-A do? The answer is increases collagen and makes the dermis thicker. I'm like, oh, I need that. How old are you? wow good question 53 and you look great oh thank you thank you you look incredible dr kim thanks that's amazing well six days out of the week i'm in the office half the time i have a mask on operating you are you're the hardest hardest working person did you have to like not do a surgery to even be here today (laughs) a little bit we just kind of kept this part open okay 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 almost finished here i think we're getting to everybody's questions but why, Sarah asks, why post-surgery can B12 
be so emotional or distressing and and feel like almost depressing. That is a, an important component. Right. And you, we discussed that prior. And I was glad that you touched on that and kind of gave me that heads up. But but why is that? What do you see? I mean, it's one, you, you, are, you are in some amount of discomfort, right? And then some nausea, discomfort. The other thing is you're bandaged up, you're swollen, you're bruised. When you look in the mirror, it does not, it does not look good. It's not something you expect right off the start. Like, that's not be what people expect. Yeah. So I try to let patients know, you know, the first two, one to two weeks, it's not going to look good. Almost any procedure that you do, it's not going to look good. And then at the end of two weeks too, it's not going to look perfect. It looks somewhat decent, it'll be better, but you got to kind of give it time to heal. Yeah. You really do have to be patient. Yes. It was interesting. I remember feeling like two weeks, four weeks, like on the one hand, and I remember my boyfriend Greg was like, wow, like even in the bandage, he was like, you look amazing, like young, like a youngish, you know, renewal, mm -hmm. like, cause my eyes were a little more open. My skin looked, you know, really tout and lovely. But then like two weeks, four weeks, I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, you know, you do have a, a hint of that. Not, I hate to say like alien face, but it's, it is an unfamiliar face. Right, right. And, and you have to expect that. Right. And know that it, it will resolve Settled itself. Down, yeah. You know, I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've had heard, other patients, exact same thing. Like, yeah. I don't look like myself. I go, you're like a week from surgery. You're swollen, bandaged up. Just, just wait a little bit. And if you start to panic, because I've even heard from women who've DM'd me, they're like, oh my God, I, I'm going through what you went through. I, I, I am three weeks and I'm panicking because I look a little, I look crazy, you know? And I'm like, I think like that's almost a sign that you're going to get good results then. Because if you don't look a little crazy, then it may not have worked. Right, right. Because it you wasn't enough. exactly the same after. Yeah, you're just going to look the same and right. have gone through all of that for all of right. that. Let's talk about pricing because I, 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 every doctor sets their own prices right. for these things. But just to give people an idea, because it's the other thing I don't want to ever neglect is like, you know, this is an investment. It is not cheap. It is a major, major surgery. But what, what's the ballpark for, let's say, a facelift and a neck lift combined? Or, or just talk, talk us through that a little bit. Um, generally, it's going to be around twenty to 30000 in that range. Okay. For both. Yeah, for both. And your office, you have payment plan options, correct? Available right. to people? Right. Okay, because that was another question. Like, can we get on a payment plan for this? <laughs> you can qualify for that, right. right? Okay. And then just before I let you go, blepharoplasty, because right. that that was something that we chose to include, you know, and people were like, you know, why do, why do that on top of everything else? But it seemed like such a natural because. Right. So if we work around the face, technically the part of the face actually that ages the most usually is around the eyes. Usually around the eyes ages a little bit faster than the rest of the face, usually. Not everyone, but usually. Mm -hmm. So then if we worked around the face and made everything nicer, like that kind of on the younger youthful side, and then the eyes still look a little bit on the older side and it doesn't kind of match, it'd be probably better to kind of bring that in together so that like everything kind of aligns a little better. And you're already under the right. anesthesia. So right. if you're kind of already in there. I have to say for me, the blepharoplasty was like so easy as far as right. recovery, you know, like there's like no evidence that I had it done. I don't have a single scar on my eyelid. Right. And by definition, guys, that's just where you take the excess skin on the eyelid and you right. cut 
a line across and just remove it, right? right. And then sew it back together, basically. Right. And you did such a good job. But like, I, I would have maybe done that a couple years earlier. It was so, it was easy to recover from. Right. And very little pain. So if anyone is considering that. It's a, it's a small area. I mean, it's still yeah. surgery. It's, yeah. it's technically still surgery, but it's a small area that we're, we're working yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Well, before I let you go, just as far as plastic surgery in general, like trends or what you're excited about or what's new in technology, like what what are you seeing? What are you fired up about? Well, I did, I went to Korea. So I, every couple of years I go to Korea to kind of see like, they're kind of on the cutting edge a little bit about new technology. Mm-hmm. Some things that not approved here, but kind of, they, they kind of approve over there. Uh-huh. They're on the faster side. Yeah. Not always good, but on the cutting edge side. Uh, one of the things they're working on right now, or actually that's the, one of the biggest thing in Korea right now is called skin boosters, like injections where you put it into the skin and it kind of helps the skin improve texture wise, skin quality wise, right? And some of these things aren't approved here yet. Because I think the FDA's, which it's right, they're trying to make sure, make sure these things are safe before it comes over. But it's really something that's big in Korea right now. Skin boosters? Skin boosters. Is it come like an injectable through a needle? It comes like pre- pre-filled just like a hyaluronic acid, like fillers. Okay. But instead of filling the skin, you're just injecting right under the skin. And then it kind of helps the skin like become nicer at the cellular level. One of the ones that they have, it actually has salmon sperm DNA. Salmon sperm? Right. DNA. Right. And that has some kind of ingredient that just promotes Right. So I, I try to look up the, the molecular biology of it, but there isn't much that kind of tells you about it. But the company that has that product, which is like one of the biggest, the hottest product in Korea right now, they're saying for some reason they believe that salmon sperm DNA is closely related to human DNA, which I don't see how. But when they break, like chop up the salmon sperm DNA, put it into a disinjection, put it in the skin, the skin actually uses that DNA and makes the skin nicer. I don't, I have to see like better, like molecular evidence of why that's so, especially with my PhD thinking wise. But that's one of the hottest products in Korea right now. Whoa. Yeah. So so you essentially kind of get the same results maybe as a Botox, but this is happening at the cellular level, not the right. paralyzing no, the muscle so it's level. Not, yeah, it's not to paralyze muscles or help like wrinkling that way, but it's actually to help the quality of the skin to get nicer. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I think once upon a time, you and I had a discussion. You may have even asked me, you probably don't remember this. You were like, if you could take a pill and like stop aging, would you do right. it? Like, is that is that technology like happening? Right. So there's, there's, they're looking at like telomere shortening. There's different like genes that affect aging. So then, you know, you have, even with, with the vaccine technology, where mRNA vaccines. So mRNA is a, like a very powerful tool. Like you could make expression of different proteins at will. So then if you say, okay, this protein starts going down as you age, okay, is there a way to make this protein like more expression of it? Well, there's mRNA technology, there's CRISPR technology, there's all this different technology that's out there that's actually, it actually starts, it's working, it does work. They're at the phase of like looking at like clinical, like making it work in humans, but they can get it to work in like animals right now. You think this is going to, all this stuff's going to happen within our lifetime? I, I think so. Because we're very close, even with like tumor treatments, genetic disorders. With We have really powerful molecular tools like that are working already. Yeah. 
right? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. There are a, a whole lot of criticisms of people like me who choose to elect to do a, a, a surgery about vanity and looking my best. Your entire business and livelihood. <laughs> Not right. all of it is just cosmetic. I'm sure some people, like you said, you reconstruct things after right. probably breast cancer or other other scenarios where people are just kind of putting themselves back together and how right. great that is. But you see patients before and after. And for me, and I've explained this you know, to everybody about how, how this was a gift to myself mm-hmm. and how I have feel good and confident and like refreshed and renewed. And I you know, this is not because I was insecure and hated myself. And the only thing that's going to fix me is Dr. Kim, you know? <laughs> so what is it like witnessing people's transformations in, in an industry, which people could say is superficial, but you see people bloom from maybe the results, you know, because of what you've done right, for right. them. I mean, one example. So I had a patient mom brought her daughter in and she just, she just finished high school. She just got into college and right before college. And this is actually a very common place in Korea where graduating from high school, they get plastic surgery. Like it's really common in, in, in the Asian countries. So then the mom brought her daughter in, but dragged her in and said like, I'd like my daughter to have some, you know, do her eyes, do her nose, do some surgery. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And then I'm doing the consultation, like, your daughter doesn't want to do the surgery. I don't think we should force her. And mom's like, oh, I'll talk to her, I'll talk to her. And finally, later after consultation, everything, and she came back a few times for consultation. And then later on, like, I asked her, are you sure you want to do this? And daughter said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. So we did her eyes, we did her nose. And then she went to college. Mom comes back. What was it, like, winter break? My daughter's so happy. I'm like, I, I thought she didn't want to do the surgery. She used to be so quiet, so shy. Like she was very like insecure about her looks and insecure. But now she's got friends. She's like out there. She's like, she loves it. Like, oh, I guess. So that's one example. Yes. Yeah. So you can't judge everybody. Everybody has their own, you know, personal reasons, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, my goal is to try to make sure that they pick the right surgery, that the the surgeries are appropriate for them and they make the right decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Because like with that girl, like she felt like she had a new lease on life in many ways. And, and often it's not one thing, you know, I've said it's not just surgery. It's like doing other work on yourself too. And, and that girl probably matured a little and you gave her that just enough to to (laughs) help her like set out on a, on a path herself which is cool so yeah i believe that too it's a personal decision and everybody gets to do what they want right you know so i i just am appreciative of what great work you do do don't go to the wrong doctor guys (laughs) or you won't be celebrating like we are right now thank you doctor oh thanks for having me you guys thank you so much for hanging out with me on cat sadler now don't forget to rate and review the show and make sure you're subscribed or following so you never miss an episode it sure is a beautiful day i'll see you next time
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.